You are listening to Studying Pixels, a solo podcast this week on games and video game culture. I'm Dan Hughes, a Japanese scholar from Texas, and I'm afraid that my intrepid co-host, Stefan, is out traveling uh, the far reaches of Austria as we speak. He sent me some photos, and boy, let me tell you what, it is gorgeous. Uh, Sometimes you play a video game and you think, wow, that looks just like a storybook. And then you see photos from Austria or Bavaria, and you think, oh, those places seem to really exist. So, Stefan, I hope you're enjoying your vacation. Well-earned and well-deserved. But today, it's just going to be me. I must have, I must confess, I'm, I'm a little scared, uh, just because it's just me sitting in a closet right now talking to myself. And when I do that, usually I'm not recording it. So it's kind of brand new territory for me. But today is really exciting because I am going to be talking about Like a Dragon Ishin, or Yakuza Ishin, I guess now that it's over here in the States. But I had a really fun time with this game. I have a lot to say about it, and I'm basically just going to be kind of breaking down uh, the history, where different ideas come from for the game, what it's based on, the gameplay, of course, and then my overall thoughts on the message that it imparts at the end of it. But before I get into that, I do want to thank each and every one of you uh, for making this show happen. And if you would continue to like to make this show happen then I recommend that you check out our Patreon and uh, chuck in a buck, as they say. It really helps keep the lights on and help this show keep going uh, at the quality that it is. And you can find us every week on studyingpixels.com or wherever you listen to your podcasts to find out more. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Okay, here we go. Brand new territory. I think we've had solo episodes before, but... I've never done one, so hopefully we don't go off the rails here. I think we've done this long enough that I kind of know my own speaking cadence, but eh, it's always something new coming down the pike. Speaking of something new, the Meiji Restoration in Japan. Yes, this is another episode where I get to flex my Japan scholar skills and give you all a bit of a history lesson. Now, I do want to say, when I put these history lessons together, of course I'm not covering every single piece of the history. Uh, that would be an entirely different podcast. But I do think that you're going to find out some interesting things that you may not have known about Japanese history, because I did. I thought I knew a few things, and when the game kind of threw out some historical facts and figures, I went to uh, different websites and some of the books that I have in my library just to kind of refresh my memory, because this is uh, Yakuza Ishin, like a dragon Ishin, takes place during a time that I wasn't 100% familiar with. Uh, I knew about the ramifications of it, the Bakumatsu period, but I didn't know all the ins and outs. And this game is an interesting primer to it, uh, but I'll get into that. Before we talk about that, because that is the bulk of today's episode, I did want to do a little bit of housekeeping. So this game code was graciously provided by Sega and Ryugago Toku Studios for review. It was fantastic of them to do that. Uh, And I will say this, um, I'm not going to be gushing about every single part of the game, but there is quite a lot to like here. And so thank you very much for giving us that review code. 
We also have an episode on how Yakuza works, the series more broadly. It's a plus episode, and it's one of our earliest ones. Uh, and in it, we kind of go into the tropes, the themes, the different things that the games really are preoccupied with and talk about. So if you're interested, go ahead over to our Patreon and sign up to become a Plus member where you can get that and, boy, nearly 20 other Plus episodes now. That's, the catalog is just racking up in there. And the last thing that I want to say before kind of diving into it is just sort of the interesting, uh, not real-life history, but game history of Like a Dragon Ishin. It was originally released in Japan as a PS4 launch title back in 2014, and it got pretty good reviews, but it was so Japan-centric, more so even than the previous Yakuza games, that I think the feeling at Sega was basically, well, there's no real demand for this. And I think that they were wrong then. <laughs> However, I will say that I understand why they didn't port it out to the West, because it is very particular. Uh, that said, it's received some pretty nice acclaim in this re-release now. Um, it runs very well. It it feels like a PS4 game, but not in a bad way. I would say it's the same quality visually uh, as any of the other modern-day Yakuza games. So, I mean, pretty, pretty stellar in that regard. But it was, boy, what is that, eight years before we got it out in the West? And uh, I'm glad that we have it because it's a really interesting offshoot of the Yakuza series and does some very cool things with your preconceptions and uh, understandings of the Yakuza series when you go into it. But I'll talk more about that later. For now, I want to do a mukashi mukashi. I want to take you back, back in time, back through history, because I can't really talk about Like a Dragon Ishin without talking about the history that surrounds it. So it's a really interesting offshoot of Yakuza in the sense that it's not really a Yakuza game. You're not following uh, any of the characters like Kiryu or Majima or any of those sort of fan favorites. What you're doing instead is you're following these historical figures that actually existed during a very turbulent period in Japanese history called the Bakumatsu. The Bakumatsu was between 1853 and 1867 and is a term that's used to describe kind of the, I mean, realistically, the falling apart of the previous period of Japanese history, the Edo period, and the very difficult changeover into the Meiji Restoration, which, for lack of a better term, was the modernization of Japan at the turn of the 19th century. So, for some context, Japan during what we call the Edo period, or the Tokugawa period, was completely isolated, uh, more or less. They had some Dutch traders, but they didn't let anybody else into the country. It was completely self-sufficient. It uh, only existed for Japanese people. And it was a very peculiar state of government where it was called the Edo period because the Bakufu, or the shogunate, what we in the West call the shogunate and the shogun, they were seated in Edo. Edo is what Tokyo, uh, or what Tokyo eventually is what Edo became. So they were situated there at Edo Castle. And the way that the government worked was that all of the different lords and kind of, um, you, I guess you could call them governors. Uh, they were called daimyo, but they were the ruling factions of different areas of Japan, they would all have to travel to Edo uh, every other year and sit in what was more or less a parliament, and they would determine how the future of Japan was going to go. They would work on political issues, they would govern and all of this. So it was this strange kind of consolidated yet fractured period of Japanese history where you know, every other year, the lord of your domain was off a million miles away, figuratively speaking, in Edo, doing whatever they were doing. And at the time, the people who were running the domains were the samurai retainers, these people who followed the daimyo and protected them, and who existed at the top of the caste system in Japan. So power was a strange thing during the Tokugawa period, because it was consolidated based on your class, your caste, 
And it was also very fractured because everybody was all over the place half the time. So while it was this isolated period where uh, culture and mercantilism and religion had this interesting kind of uh, thriving period, people weren't exactly being treated well, is what I should say. Anytime you have feudalism, anytime you have a caste system, especially one based on Confucianism, you're going to run into some questions of class and how people are treated. So the Bakamatsu, this period after the Edo period, came about when the black ships from America and England and other Western powers came into Japan and basically blew the doors down and said, hey, the rest of the world is knocking. You need to open up your doors now. Pretty tumultuous, to say the least. After 250 plus years of isolation, suddenly the entire world was coming at, at Japan's doorstep and saying, you need to join us here. And they weren't exactly being friendly about it. I could do an entire episode on Commodore Matthew Perry and the Americans and the English and everybody who was involved with the kind of external opening of Japan, but I would go off on a tear for a long time. For those of you who don't know, that's really the period that I studied. I studied the religion of that period, but there was a lot going on then. So at any rate, we're entering this game in an incredibly uh, harsh time of turmoil where so many pressures are put on the bakufu, so many pressures are put on the samurai, and so many pressures are put on the normal people of Japan. The world has come knocking. What are we going to do? This is the, I would say, most violent and confusing time period of Japan's history since the Sengoku period, the Warring States period, before the Tokugawa shogunate came to power. At any rate, things are not going great in Japan at this time. I don't think that's talking out of school. That's just the kind of world that we're entering into. And the interesting thing here is that we're following a character who is a real-life person. So our main character in Like a Dragon Ishin is Sakamoto Ryoma. Sakamoto Ryoma was a real-life figure during this period, a very important figure. And before I talk about who he is in the game, again, I want to give some context for who he was in real life. The real Ryoma was pretty similar to the video game character, but with some marked differences that are important to note. So he was a politician during this time in Bakumatsu. And I say politician, he was a member of the samurai class who wanted to abolish feudalism. And he was from a place in Japan called Tosa. And then he was schooled in Edo, in both swordsmanship and political intrigue, I suppose, and then returned to Tosa, where a close friend of his, Takechi Hanpeta, was running a rebellious political group that was loyal to the emperor of Japan and wanted the Bakufu out of the picture. Their slogan was, revere the emperor, expel the barbarians. The barbarians, of course, being us Westerners. So this was a loyalist party that wanted to restore the emperor past just the uh, religious figurehead title that he had had up to that point throughout the Tokugawa period and wanted to consolidate power in, I mean, the monarchy again, realistically. The thinking behind this, as I understand it, is there were so many external forces coming into Japan and pulling them in a million different directions during this time where Japan had a very clear identity as a country because of the Bakufu. But now the Bakufu was looking weak. Things were had clearly progressed in the Western world beyond that of in the Japanese world. And things were scary and the box was closing in on people. So I think in any times of national stress, people will look for a person who can kind of rally the entire country. And to Takechi Hanpeta, that person, of course, was the emperor. The emperor at this time didn't really have any power. I would say he was kind of like the royal family in England of today, where the parliament truly runs the country, but, you know, they're there and they 
they're ordained by God and all this. And it's this outdated kind of idea where a special person wears a funny hat and they get to rule the world. The emperor was based in what we now call Kyoto, but what was then just called Kyo. And he was basically just a religious person. He was the direct descendant of the sun goddess Amaterasu, so he was the figurehead of Shinto. So very important, but not very powerful. And the loyalists wanted to give him the power back, get a national identity rallied around the emperor so that we can expel the barbarians and, I guess, put their foot on the world stage. Well, Sakamoto Ryoma did not like this approach, and he fled to Kyo, he left Tosa, and it was here that he started working with different factions of Japan. He started working with the Satsuma and the Choshu, and eventually brokered a peace between the two of them that came to be known as the Sacho Alliance. And it was this alliance that he brokered that actually fought against the Bakufu, the shogunate, and weakened them enough that dominoes started falling and the power was given back to the emperor. Now, that may be strange, right? Because I did say that Ryoma didn't like the approach of revere the emperor, expel the barbarians. And he didn't. However, getting rid of the Bakufu was a huge step in getting rid of feudalism in Japan. So of course, things changed as the Meiji Restoration continued in the years that followed the Bakumatsu. But Sakamoto's goal was to get rid of class. Now, did he succeed? Not entirely, but he certainly made a big change. And he was able to do this by being a rebellious political figure at this really turbulent time in Japanese history. Eventually, Sakamoto was killed, uh, and that was kind of at the tail end of the Bakumatsu period. It was about a year before it officially ended and the Meiji Restoration started, but he's still seen as a very lauded figure in Japanese history for bringing about a turn of a new age. So I must confess, that's all very interesting, and I recommend that you read about it. Uh, I know that I've left things out. I am a Japanese historian, but this is a video game podcast, and I don't want to get into all of the nitty-gritty I am going to come back at the end and give a little bit of a uh, wrap-up on how I think this game handles the historical aspects of the Bakumatsu period. But for the time being, what we need to know moving forward is that this takes place during a very turbulent time in Japanese history with a very important historical figure at its helm. But is Ryuga Gotoku... Sakamoto Ryoma, the same as his historical counterpart. Kind of. Let's talk about it. Let's talk about the story of Like a Dragon Ishin, of Yugago Toku Ishin. What's happening in this game? Well, it generally follows that historical layout that I just gave you of Sakamoto's life during the Bakumatsu. There are some key differences, though, that make it more of a narrative and more of a video game. Namely, the reason he flees to Kyo in Ishin is that his father figure is killed. His father figure is killed by a person who uses a very particular sword fighting stance. And so Sakamoto goes to Kyo to find this uh, style of swordsmanship so that he can figure out who killed his father figure and why. So we're not really given a political story at the start, we're given a revenge story, which, from a narrative perspective, is a really smart way to grip you. I mean, it gripped me, right? But the political intrigue and the historical uh, moments that occur in Like a Dragon Ishin are kind of put on the back burner in favor of this story for revenge. And that's fair. I mean, it's a video game. You have to have some kind of driving plot to thrust the narrative forward. Uh, but it does kind of muddle Sakamoto Ryoma a little bit because, you know, it kind of changes his priorities a little bit, changes his idea of what he's in Kyo to do. I should make very clear, Sakamoto Ryoma in the game is less of a person with a plan and more of someone who just political things happen to. The real Sakamoto, of course, 
had a lot of agency in what he was enacting in Japan. And this one just kind of, <laughs> he just kind of falls into them. My favorite example of this is that Sacho Alliance piece that he brokered. Uh, the liberty they take in this game is that it happened over a night of getting, to quote the character, absolutely shit-faced. So he takes two big historical figures out, they all get drunk, and that night the alliance is formed. Now maybe that's how it happened. I don't know. It's it's kind of fun to think about, but you know, it's that kind of world that we're living in. It's still a Yakuza game after all. So Sakamoto, in order to find the man who killed his father, joins the Shinsengumi. Now the Shinsengumi was a real-life uh, group of people who were a Bakufu-backed uh, warrior group that was put in Kyo to quash loyalist rebels. He's in there because in the world of the game, each of these uh, each of the captains of the Shinsengumi knows the particular sword style that killed his father, so he knows that the killer is in that group. So it makes it a fun mystery where you're trying to figure out alongside Sakamoto, okay, what is happening? Who would have the motive to do this? Who's pulling the strings? It's a very interesting murder mystery, more so than a political intrigue story, but that's great. I really enjoyed it. So it's, you know, we, that the problem with that, of course, is that we kind of storify these things. Uh, I say problem with, I mean, that's how you have to do it. It's a video game. It's a story. You have to tell a story. So there's ways that the game kind of takes these historical elements and obviously heightens them or fantasizes them. Like a good example is that you literally fight the Shogun at one point. Uh, it's, you know, it's over the top. It needs to get its point across in a very particular way. And it does so by being ridiculous, which if you've listened to our plus episode on the Yakuza series, you know, is a key factor of the Yakuza games. But I will say it's an interesting mirror to the Yakuza series because Yakuza, while it takes place in more modern times, you know, the, the uh, earliest one that goes back is during the 80s, it is more historically minded than Yakuza is. Yakuza is very fantastical and it's full of allegory and uh, it's not exactly one-to-one -one storytelling for real-life events, but this game is. So you take on historical beats, you know, you see certain... Uh, arguments take place, you meet certain figures. Uh, and what it does with the Yakuza lens is that it takes these real-life people and the character models are character models from Yakuza. So Sakamoto Ryoma looks like Kiryu, the main character of the Yakuza series. Uh, there's another member of the Shinsengumi who looks like Goro Majima, right? So there's this kind of dual life, dual role thing happening where you cannot help but think of the historical character as the fictional character that you know from the other Yakuza games. And so there's some clear shorthand storytelling going on there where, of course, if Sakamoto Ryoma looks like Kiryu, I'm going to assume he is an honorable person, he loves his friends, and he hates people who are awful to women. <laughs> just to name a few of his traits. You know, on the flip side, the guy who looks like Majima is a blood-crazed maniac, but who also has a heart of gold, right? So you, you definitely kind of give the game away a little bit by giving these historical characters Yakuza game doppelgangers, but it's also a really smart way to ingratiate you with the story. And the other thing that it does is that it really interestingly takes a look at these historical figures in a way that is not accurate to history, but is accurate to modern day conceptions of these people. Namely, it takes people and makes heroes out of them, and it takes other people and it vilifies them. And I think there is where the nationalism question comes into like a dragon Ishin, because some of the criticism that the game has been getting is that it does feel a little nationalist. Now, Japan, I love you, but you are a little xenophobic. There is a little bit of nationalism. 
it's just there. I mean, hi, kettle, pot, nice to meet you. I'm American, but it is something that is undeniable. And so the game, while not being overtly nationalistic, certainly paints all of these historical figures in very particular lights so that there is a clear indication of whose side you should be on and what was right and how history was painted by the victors. So really interesting stuff. And I think that's where I got the most out of this game, especially in the narrative, was seeing kind of behind the curtains of who the Ryugogotoku developers are, how they're looking at things, how they look at Japan and its modern history. There's a lot to be gleaned here. And I think that they look back on this period, not necessarily with rose-tinted goggles, because it, it shows that it was a violent and scary time. But the ultimate message is that kindness and compassion are what made the transition to the Meiji period work. And while that works for a Yakuza story, it's not true <laughs> for the history of Japan. I think obviously there was a lot of compassion and kindness that went into everyday life. And I think that Sakamoto Ryoma had the right view in terms of breaking down the caste system. But we're talking about a very, very vitriolic part of Japanese history. Uh, not to mention how crazy and, and tumultuous the Meiji period itself was. So I would say this, the story is a great Yakuza story with great Yakuza character doppelgangers. The history is a little skewed and I think is a really interesting lens through which we can see a very particular perspective of Japanese history. So I would encourage you not only to play it for the story, but to look into the real life history of the Bakumatsu period. It's not, uh, that extensive, right? It's only, a, it's less than 20 years and it's chock full of stuff. But if you, uh, look into, um, there's some great novels that go into what the life was like as a samurai around this time and how terrifying it was. Um, you could also read the work of Natsume Soseki, who I'm going to mention here again in a minute, uh, who, wrote at the height of the Bakumatsu and the end of the Tokugawa period into the Meiji period, you can get a lot of really great perspective on how people felt during this time and how the political machinations of a kind of frightening upper class were having deep, deep ramifications on the people of Japan. But that's me on my soapbox from a historical perspective. I'm going to I'm going to set it down now and we're going to take a quick break and then I'm actually going to talk about how the game plays. I'm Sandra and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for, but you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? 
For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Yakuza to me is a mixed bag with gameplay. I think I either love it or I hate it. And a game like Yakuza 0, I didn't really enjoy the, the fighting system so much because I'm not a big brawler fan. But on the other hand, being a RPG fan that I am, I really liked Like a Dragon, Yakuza 7, uh, where it was turn-based and more of a RPG system. Like a Dragon Ishin comes into the middle of both of those extremes in a way that I found to be really fun. So, you know, you're a Sakamoto Dioma, you're a samurai, so you have a katana, but you also have a pistol from the West that's uh, given to you at the beginning of the game. So what this leads to is you have four distinct fighting styles that you can switch through. There's Brawler, which is just kind of punching and kicking and fighting. There's Swordsman, which is a more traditional samurai katana use uh, fighting style. And then there's Gunman, which is where you just use your Western pistol. And then the coolest one, in my opinion, is Wild Dancer, which is a combination of sword and shooting, where Sakamoto has his katana in his right hand and his pistol in his left hand, and you are just kind of dancing around the battlefield and, and hitting people as you, as you maneuver. I think it's really dynamic, and it's also thematically really resonant because, of course, Sakamoto is this person who's trapped between these two worlds, the old world of the Bakufu and the new world of modernization. So having that fighting style is really fun. And I would say that each of them has their own advantages and disadvantages, of course, but they each reward you with sticking with them. So to clarify, in a game like Yakuza 0, I think you really have to get adept at using all the different fighting styles so that you can switch between them and have kind of more fluid combat that's effective and takes people down. Ishin lets you kind of stick to one fighting style. And while it's obviously it behooves you to put attributes in the other fighting styles so that you can get stronger stats and, you know, better weapon abilities, uh, you don't you don't really need to if you want to stick to one because there's also an equipment system where you can give yourself better katanas, better guns. Uh, you can equip really nice armor. There's a blacksmith in the game that kind of helps you out. So it doesn't punish you for sticking to one style, which I think is kind of a nice feature in a game that's in a game that's so story heavy. Sometimes you do just want to kind of stick to one thing and, and role play, you know, the wild dancer, which is what I did. And I had a lot of fun with it. So it's, apart from the fighting style, it's typical Yakuza gameplay. You have a, an area of Japan that you get to run around in, but instead of this being a kind of fictionalized red light district in Tokyo, it's the real-life historical setting of Kyo. And I really enjoyed this because you get to run around, you get to see different merchant shops and talk to people and engage in these side quests that are really fun. Uh, you get to fight people on the streets like Ronin and, and other people who are coming after you. And of course, it's not a Yakuza game without wild over-the-top boss battles, which live up to expectations. Really cool music too. A lot of it is uh, like the shakuhachi flute and um, other traditional instruments of the time mixed with more modern music. So it definitely has a very particular sound font that you get accustomed to. And what's really fun is that you get to hear different Yakuza songs kind of given the uh, traditional Japanese, uh, <laughs> I guess, treatment, you would call it. Uh, my favorite, and probably the internet's favorite too, is the traditional Japanese version of Bakamitai. Because yes, one of the mini games is a karaoke bar. Uh, it's not called that, it's called the singing bar in ancient or in uh, old Kyo, but that's what it is. It feels the same. Uh, it scratches the same itch if you're missing the karaoke from the Yakuza games. So everything kind of gets this, you know, 1800s veneer put over it in a, in ways that both are silly, but then also feel very resonant with the world itself. And part of that, like I mentioned, is that you do see 
these Yakuza counterparts showing up. So familiar faces are all over the place. The big ones, of course, are Majima and Saijima. They show up, but your father figure, uh, there's a character in the Shinsen, basically all the Shinsengumi characters, all the captains are all people from different Yakuza games. So if you've played the Yakuza games, you kind of know what you're getting into when you get into this uh, cast of characters. And as a member of the Shinsengumi, because uh, Sakamoto does eventually in this game become a captain of the third division of the Shinsengumi, you can also recruit people to join your troop. And this is really cool because it's not like building a party. It's more like giving yourself enhancements and equipping these troopers to give you different abilities and gameplay. So you can equip up to three troops that you've uh, recruited throughout Kyo, and they'll give you different abilities. So one will maybe be that it, it gives you health regeneration throughout the fight. Another might be that it ups your sword attack. Some of them are over-the-top kind of fighting moves, like you'll actually shoot fireballs or something out of your hand. So I really like that because it made this game more of a role-playing game with a party, but still made it a solo endeavor because they're not actually physically there with you. It's not like you have four guys going into a fight. You just have these different abilities that you can draw upon as the captain of that division. So really interesting, pretty fun, and I would say a really cool middle ground between traditional Yakuza fighting and what they're looking more into now. And that's interesting because it does kind of seem like Remember, this came out in 2014, like this was a transitionary kind of game for them, where they were maybe testing the waters a little bit with what they could get away with in the gameplay by removing it from the Yakuza world a little bit. So really interesting piece of the Yakuza history, as well as being a fun game in and of itself. The last thing I'll mention about the gameplay, it's not Yakuza if there isn't a uh, crazy minigame about getting billions of yen. And the one in this one is called Another Life, and it's a farming simulator. That's right, there's a farming sim. I'd say this isn't as fun as the Like a Dragon moneymaker, the uh, the company kind of mini game that you get to play, uh, but it's certainly more relaxed <laughs> and convenient than that. There's no real fail state in it. The setup is that Sakamoto is helping this young girl who's about to lose her family home uh, to a debt collector, and he agrees to help her pay off the debt if he can call that his home. So you get to farm, you get to fish, you can sell different things that you've picked up around the world to make money. It's, oh, you can cook, <laughs> lots of fun stuff. So a lot of, a lot of mini games that are in there and it's a really good way to make money, but also to enjoy a quieter time in this really uh, crazy period that you're going through. It's an easy way of making money, but it's also not required that you do it. So uh, it can definitely be tedious. It's one of those mini games where a lot of it is just waiting, waiting for crops to grow, waiting for food to be cooked, waiting for the cutscene to stop playing so that you can get your money after the girl has gone to sell your wares, all this stuff, right? A lot of waiting, but it's kind of chill if you're just hanging out and want to see your farm grow and, you know, you can get pets and you can uh, make the the yard look nice. It's it's fun. It's a fun little addition to it that I spent quite a little time uh, engaging with. Now, the real kind of strong point of this game is something I've, I mean, I've really solely talked about it in this episode, but that is the historical setting and the people that are in it. So I mentioned a lot of the uh, important political figures, but before I get into more of the people who show up, I really should mention how Kyo is because I lived in Kyoto for just under a year and obviously it looks very different now, but some things are the same. The, uh, the Kamogawa river, the, the river that flows through Kyoto, you can actually go and I, I traced where I used to walk on it, uh, which was really lovely. You can go through the streets. You can go to the Gion district where the geisha are. You can go to the mercantile district and see people hawking their wares. It's really great because it does what the Yakuza games typically do, which is make that part of Japan feel very lived in and real, but it applies that meticulousness to the historical setting in a way that is really like a fun little vacation into the past. 
it's really fun. Uh, some of the places to note that are in there that are real places are uh, Teradaya, which is an inn that Sakamoto stayed in, where the first attempt on his life was made. That's where you. That's kind of your home base in this game, and you stay there until really the end of the game. Uh, I've been there. It's very cool. There's Omiya, the Omiya Inn, where he was eventually killed in real life. And then there's another uh, really cool place, Kiyomizudera, which is a temple in Kyoto. It's one of the famous temples. And it's beautifully rendered and uh, realized in the game. And you can just go there. It's really fun. So you get to see all these people kind of living out their daily life. You hear people hawking their wares and talking about the changing times. There's a really great si a series of side quests that look into the Eijanaika uh, movement. So really quickly, Eijanaika uh, basically means, uh, it's, <laughs> it's kind of like Hakuna Matata. It basically means who cares or like, you know, eh, it's nice, you know. But it was taken as this movement during the Bakumatsu where things were falling apart and people just started going around the streets and dancing and saying, Eijanaika, Eijanaika, Eijanaika. And what it meant to them as a movement was like, hey, nothing matters. It's whatever. Everything's falling apart. The caste system is going. The West is, is coming into our country. Who knows what's going to happen? Eijanaika, Eijanaika. So in this game, it's kind of played for laughs, but it's also explored as a, a real movement of the people to have their voices heard during this time that they weren't really being listened to. So there's moments like that. There's also real life and kind of pseudo real life characters that are interspersed so uh at one point you meet ernest sato uh who's an englishman who came into japan to write about the country uh and he's kind of <laughs> he's kind of portrayed as a barfly in this uh who just wants to hear stories of japanese history and talk to sakamoto dioma and all of this stuff which really happened in real life he did talk to him i don't know how much of a barfly he was uh, but that's definitely a fun little uh, jab at the English in this. Then there's a character named Natsumi Sosaku, who I had mentioned is a riff on real-life author Natsume Soseki. And his series of quests are helping him name famous Natsume Soseki novels. So at one point he says, oh, I want to write a... I have this book idea. I want to write about uh, life from the perspective of an animal but I don't know which animal. And Sakamoto says, well, why don't you make it a cat? That's interesting. He says, oh, that is fun. And then you get to name uh, uh, the story about a teacher who bungles his way through life called Bachan. And then there's Kokoro, the story Heart. So you get to kind of walk through all this and eventually you kind of give Natsume Soseki the, uh, I mean, for him, like a reason to live <laughs> in the game. So that was a lot of fun to stumble upon. And then I think the last one that I want to mention, there are others, of course, but Saigo Kichinosuke, uh, also known as Saigo Takamori. So Saigo was kind of what we would consider, at least historically, he's often referred to as the last samurai, uh, not Tom Cruise, this guy, Saigo Takamori. So Saigo was a huge guy in Japan. And I, I'm not talking uh, in uh, reputation. I mean, literally he was gigantic and he was a samurai from the Satsuma province, which at the time was kind of like bumpkin city. Right. And he was known for being this huge, brash, opinionated guy who eventually led the Satsuma and joined up in that Satsho Alliance and fought against the Bakufu, the Shogunate. And it was kind of like the last breath of the samurai that he and others in that alliance led. So again, very interesting historical figure. I could talk for hours about him, but what they did in this game was, you know, they made him a big hulking brute who, uh, is bold and brash and he's opinionated and he doesn't, you know, speak politely and he's running around picking fights with people. And, but then he, you know, he, uh, respects them after they beat him up, which is what happens, of course. So interesting look at this real figure. And again, I think the clearest example of the characters being shown in a light, not as they were, but as they're glorified in Japanese collective memory. They're more archetypes in this game and less realistic representations of these political figures at the turn of this very important age. 
And therein lies the nationalism critique. It certainly glorifies these people a bit, and it vilifies others like Yamauchi Yodo and uh, Hanpeita Takechi. Yamauchi Yodo especially. Um, you'll know what I'm talking about if you get to the end of the game. But it has a clear narrative that what led Japan to the restoration was forward thinking and compassion, when really it was more of a life-or-death age-ending conflict that left many listless and worried for the future. There is a lot to go over in the end of the Tokugawa period, the Bakumatsu, and the beginning of the Meiji period. And I think that as a nation, just like you want to kind of rally behind one political figure like the emperor, you want to make sense out of really turbulent historical times. And one way to do that is you kind of boil down these real people into their ideals or into their into your perceived version of their ideals and you create a character around that and that's what this game does these are all characters and they have traits of the historical figures but obviously it's not a historical drama that follows everything to the letter and i think that there is a critique to be made about the nationalist message of this game uh, I don't think it's very strong or even, it's hard to say if it's even intentional or if it's just how these events get filtered into a narrative, right? But I think that it is important to have that lens going into the story and to really consider what this period of history meant. And I'm not going to spoil the ending, but I will say there's a speech towards the end of the game that feels very much like um, a kind of cry out for the country, not at the turn of the Meiji Restoration, but in 2014 or 2015. So just for full transparency, I lived there during that time, 2014, 2015, and it was there was a good amount of political upset happening and there still is to this day, but it was really interesting for me to be there because what you have to understand about Japan is that it's run pretty much exclusively by older people and their population is entirely elderly. I mean, realistically it's, it's like something crazy, like 60 or 70% of Japan's population is over 65. That might be exaggerating, but it's, it's, it's huge, right? I don't want to give out false numbers, so forget that percentage. It's just, it's a lot. It's more than most countries. And there's this huge push in Japan right now for the young generation, people of our age and younger, I say our age like Stefan is here, uh, who want another new age for Japan. So I think there's an argument to be made that while it's not as violent and it's not as uh, tumultuous as the Bakamatsu period, Japan is in another period of history where things are changing and dynamics are changing and people are changing. The world is changing. And when the world changes, Japan has to change with it. And whenever that happens, historically, there's a little bit of upset that goes on. And so in that sense, while you can certainly perceive this game as being kind of nationalistically bent or nationalistically minded, I think the important thing to remember is that it's a real place with real people who want real change. And ultimately, the message at the end of Like a Dragon Ishin is that you win people through kindness and compassion, and you trust the people who are coming after you, because they're the ones who are going to take up the mantle when you're gone. And I think that's pretty commendable. And honestly, any game talking about that of any game that could be talking about it, the Yakuza series is a good one for it. Because as we talked about in our Plus episode, Yakuza is all about seeing the best in people, assuming the best, not going to the worst possible place, and respecting people for who they are as they come toward you. So in that way, I would say it's a satisfying end for a video game. And as a historian, it kind of leaves me scratching my head a little bit, not just for the portrayal of the story, but for the future of Japan. And I don't know if that was their intent, but that's how that's how I felt when I stopped playing it. And it really sat with me for a while. And, you know, I'll probably go back and play it a number of other times. I'll probably go back to this game, uh, you know, as often as I go back to any of the other Yakuza games, which is every couple of years. 
So if you haven't played it or if it didn't kind of strike your fancy, I would certainly recommend it. It was a lot of fun. Incredible voice acting, as usual, from Yakuza. Really great performances. Um, cinematic, dramatic, funny, beautiful, and historically and politically intriguing. So if you're on the fence, hop off and play it. I wholeheartedly recommend it. Ooh, okay, well, first solo episode down. Uh, Stefan, if you're listening, I'm looking forward to having you back, as I know our listeners are too. So, everyone, thank you all very much for listening. Reminder to check us out on our Discord channel. You can find that on studyingpixels.com and join up right there. And as for now, I think that's all I got. I'll see you next week. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.